Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. This week we are going to talk about mental health and well-being. Yeah, so this is a really important topic and in some ways working as a freelance can be better for your mental health. We know lots of freelancers who chose that option because um, they were trying to avoid kind of the stress that they were having in their staff job. Um, for me, for example, that means kind of freedom to organise myself and not get sucked into office politics. Yeah, definitely. Although there is a flip side to that. Um, when you're working on your own, maybe at home, um, you can end up feeling isolated or, or overwhelmed by the amount of work you've got on. Um, yeah, and it might be harder to separate home life from work life, um, which recently with the coronavirus pandemic um, has been kind of more difficult for, I know I'm used to working at home, but now I've got the whole family at home as well. So there's three children running around and my other half who's working um, in the kitchen on his laptop. So um, that's been kind of an extra level of difficulty, I think, for a lot of freelancers. Um, on top of that, there's the financial uncertainty, which sometimes can be difficult to manage and feel very stressful. Yeah, so in this episode, it's all about how to look after your mental health and well-being. And we're going to talk with our guests about some of the things that have helped them. Um, and we did also ask our Facebook community for their advice and tips on this. So we'll go through those suggestions in the episode as well. So let's get started with our top tips. Um, so. Emma and I, we had a bit of um, discussion about this and I'd say that the one that I'm going to go for would be on both our lists. Um, but I think one of the great benefits of being freelance, but also kind of helping you to keep sane for me um, is exercise um, and being able to do it kind of whenever suits me. Um, so Emma and I both are runners um, and I certainly spend a lot of my working week actually running. Um, and I think it, it's great because it just gives you that headspace. It also means you get out of the house, um, you know, you're getting fresh air, you get the exercise, which is obviously good as well. But I think I tend to kind of stick on a podcast. Um, sometimes it is something work related, um, maybe like the media show, but quite often it's something that I can kind of escape into. Um, and I find that's like a really great way of just kind of letting go. Um, and I love the fact that I can just go out, you know, for however long I want. It could be half an hour, it could be four hours. Um, it just kind of depends what I've got going on. Um, so my top tip really would be kind of to find your thing um, exercise wise and try and make sure you make time for it. Yeah, I mean, it can be as simple as going for a walk, but I, I mean, I find I do my best thinking, come with my best ideas when I'm out running, when I'm trying, I'm not actively, I'm just kind of running and then things just come to me. So it, it can be really helpful. Um, so my tip would be to know that it is okay to take some time away from your desk and walk away and do something else. I mean, I think like a lot of freelancers, I'm really bad at saying no to things even if I'm really busy, because it's that thought, isn't it, that next month I won't have that work or they won't come back to me another time. 
Um, and it does mean from time to time it can get a bit overwhelming and your head's sort of too full um, and it seems too much. Uh, and when you're freelance, you can have lots of different types of work as well on the go, uh, lots of different little projects and things that you're doing. Um, so I'm kind of be getting better, I think, at recognising that panicky feeling. And my way of sorting it is to kind of make a list of the things that I don't need to do now. So there's a list for tomorrow or another day. Let's just deal with what I absolutely have to do right now. Um, get that done and then walk away. Walk away and shut the door and then do something else. Read a book, watch telly, walk the dog. Um, for me, it's just kind of about taking a pause and trying to make that make the amount you've got to do manageable. And I've definitely had to do that more in lockdown because as I've got the kids running around and, you know, everything's just felt so much more chaotic. I really found myself having to um, kind of try to organize myself a bit better so that I don't get that overwhelming feeling. Yeah, I need to get better at this. Um, I am not very good at walking away. Um, although if it's sunny, that really helps. And I will go out and sunbathe for an hour. <laughs> That's about the only thing. Go and get my, my lizard on and go and lie in the sun for a bit. Um, okay, so time to meet our guests this week. We have Jenny Stallard. Hi, Jenny. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So Jenny's been a freelance several times over her 20 plus year career, most recently since 2017 after leaving a job as commissioning editor on the feature desk at Metro. She's worked for the BBC MPA and has written for Guardian, Telegraph, Brazier, Red, The Finally 29, Stylist and many more. In 2019, Jenny set up the podcast and newsletter Freelance Feels as a response to her own mental health challenges as a freelancer. So thanks for coming on to the show today, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be here. Um, we also have Jake Tucker. Hi, Jake. Hey. Um, he's a freelancer with bylines across the tech and game sector, having written cover stories for PC Gamer, um, investigation pieces uh, for Vice, and deep dives into games and tech for Eurogamer, Trusted Reviews, T3 Tech Radar, and The Daily Star. Um, Jake has also written about his personal mental health experience for Vice. Um, it's really great to have you on the podcast, Jake. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start with your top tips. So Jenny, I'll start with you. Um, you've obviously got lots of experience as a staff journalist and a freelance journalist. Um, and we'll talk to you about freelance fields in a bit. But I just first wondered if you could kick us off with your top tip for keeping well whilst freelancing. Yeah, I loved both your tips. Um, I would definitely agree with um, exercise. Um, yoga has is, is been the one for me in lockdown in particular. But um, something I, I sort of thought about for a top tip kind of combines both, and that is to keep a diary. So you could keep a food slash exercise slash stress diary and just make a note. So if, I guess it would be for somebody who perhaps is feeling like things are getting out of control. If you just get any notepad or a Word document and just write down the day and the date, and then maybe, you know, what you've eaten for breakfast, lunch and dinner, whether you have had fresh air, whether you have done your exercise, when you took a screen break. And that'll give you something tangible to then look back on and, and realise perhaps where your stress triggers come from as a freelancer. And whether you are actually, you think you're taking breaks, but are you? You can look back at your diary and say, oh, hold on. I haven't taken a lunch break for two days because I've not written it in my, my notepad. So it's kind of an accountability way of, of bringing together those two top tips. So, yeah. And it's excuse to buy a new notepad as well. 
Yes, I I never need an excuse to buy new stationery. <laughs> ever. I bought a new one just today. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Jake, what about you? What's your kind of key piece of advice? Yeah, so I mean, um, actually, I agree largely with your team. Like, I've definitely been guilty before of not going out to exercise enough or spending too much time sat at my desk. But I think the number one thing for me is just to kind of create a network. So I've found that. Uh, I found that kind of joining other groups of freelance journalists has really helped me out. Um, and even reading into that, there are kind of a couple of WhatsApp groups where, to be honest, if I just need to have a whine about an editor that's been annoying or a piece that I, I'm not sure about, I just find really helps. Like I, I joined the NUJ, I think that really helps. It's just, I think the most important thing basically for freelancing is that even though you are working for yourself, you don't have to be entirely by yourself all the time. Because sometimes it's just really valuable to talk to someone else and be like, hey, is this nonsense? Because it feels like it might be nonsense. And then someone come back and say, hey, you're not overreacting. This is annoying. Or, oh, maybe you should just do this first and focus on that. I think it's just important to have other people to hold you accountable. Yeah, and there are lots of networks, aren't there, that kind of provide that role of, that you would have, if you were in a staff job, you would have colleagues that you could moan about an editor to or moan about kind of the tasks that you'd be given or you're not clear about something. Um, all those kind of little frustrations um, but so it's just other freelancers in those networks can provide that role. Yeah I, I think the thing is ultimately that when you're a freelancer no one is responsible for your own income except for you ultimately and there are so many people out there either I wouldn't ever say that anyone was particularly malicious but the industry can be quite tough and sometimes people ask you to do things that aren't really the best use of your time or you know you're not really being paid for it's just nice to be able to check that stuff with anyone else just to make sure that you're doing the thing that's right for you. Yeah, it's really important, isn't it, to kind of keep in the loop with other people and not kind of out on your own. And I wonder if, if Jenny, if we could bring you in here, because obviously you started up freelance fields and, and this is a great way for people to kind of connect through sort of shared experiences. And I, I wonder if you could just tell us a bit more about what led you to setting that up. Yeah, sure. So I was... When I went freelance again in April 2017, it was actually following redundancy. And I think anyone who's been made redundant can probably relate to the idea of it being a bit like a breakup where you're just suddenly dumped. You know, you just feel it's that overnight. Oh, I thought we were going well. I thought we were getting on OK. Yeah, there were a couple of cracks, but splitting up. So you're suddenly thrown into it. And I'd been freelance before, so it was my default. But then a couple of years after that, so March 2019, I was just really not enjoying it. I was often very tearful. I'd often get to about four-ish on an afternoon and find myself really sort of anxious and welling up and just thinking, what am I doing? I'm not enjoying this. Work was more scarce than it had been in my previous freelance um, life, times I've been freelance. Um, so I started doing what I often do, and I think a lot of journalists do. I thought, oh, I might, I might write about this. I might see if I can turn it into something that will help me. So that I began it as a blog. Um, but then pretty soon I realised that Instagram was where things were really building as a community. Um, and Instagram, I found a lot of interaction with people who often just message and say, thank you for saying X, Y, Z. It's, it's really helped me realise I'm not alone thinking that random thought as well. But yeah, so it was sort of a response to my own. I, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I think it was knocking on the door, um, which again, a lot of freelancers may well relate to. And I kind of could hear it knocking and thinking, mm stick or twist so I thought I'll try writing about it and it, reaching out and see who else is out there and whether that helps me and it did because I just yeah the more I write for it the more I realize that 
everyone's in the same boat we're all judging ourselves and we're all comparing ourselves and we all think we're not earning enough and we're failing and that's how I felt back then and still a bit now <laughs> and, and what about the podcast I mean at what point did you decide I'm going to turn this into a podcast as well it was always at the back of my mind because I love podcasts and I thought oh this is surely a topic I could do a podcast on and I launched the podcast in the autumn um I faffed around with it a lot I'll be honest and it is one of those things which I'm sure you guys can relate to is that I just suddenly went you've just got to get your first episode or your trailer up and just see what happens it's like that sort of first trip to the gym if you've never been or whatever but um yeah the podcast has probably been one of the most rewarding parts as well because it's kind of like one-on-one therapy with whoever I interview um I can ask them lots of questions that I want answered on a personal level on behalf of all the freelancers and yeah, it's it's just close to 4,000 downloads now, so I'm really chuffed. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just shows that power of talking to others who understand your experiences, yeah. because if you, you know, unless you live with another freelancer, that's, you know, you're kind of, no one's going to really understand those little niggles or every day, you know, just that's, 10th time that week when you're chasing an invoice or you've not been paid that all those little things that can kind of grind you down and think am I doing this wrong what this and <laughs> um, but actually just speaking to other freelancers you realize um that everybody is having the same experience and actually they might have come across a way to deal with that that you'd not thought of mm. or a tip and advice you know that you'd not kind of tried before so um I mean, I know Lily and I have both found uh, kind of networks on Facebook and things really valuable when we've come across problems or things that we've not known how to deal with. Yeah, 100%. It's funny, my partner actually is self-employed and we sit at home next to each other working. But he was so shocked by the way the journalism industry works. He he doesn't often chase invoices because he does that thing that, you know, in inverted commas, other freelancers who aren't journalists ask for half up front, which obviously we just can't and don't do with say newspaper articles so he was quite shocked at the way my industry our industry worked which seeing him see those red flags has made me realize just how bright those red flags in some areas of journalism are and to take steps to sort of think okay well maybe I won't work for a client that doesn't pay on time then because he wouldn't work for a client that doesn't pay on time he wouldn't even entertain the idea yeah absolutely I mean I think uh, we talk about this in in the book as well we've got a whole mm. chapter where we're kind of doing a bit of a call to arms of we kind of need to fight our corner and kind of rise up as free, freelancers yes. and say this isn't acceptable I'm not doing this as a hobby this is my business and um, I I think freelancers are getting a bit better at that I feel like we're forming in my experience anyway I don't know if I've just tapped into these networks in the past couple of years but I just feel like we are kind of forming these groups and making the stand a bit more and kind of talking about our experiences a bit more I agree and um, Jake talk us through your experience um with mental health and what that means for you as a freelance journalist sure well I mean I have uh, I have a particularly fun combination because basically I'm uh, I'm autistic uh they used to refer to it as Asperger's syndrome uh, but they've kind of rolled it into one diagnosis now but basically what that means day to day is I'm not very good at picking up social cues um and I'm not very good at picking up unwritten rules. Uh, so actually working in an office can be quite problematic. It's a little better now. Uh, I've been doing it long enough that I kind of know where I'm at. But starting out is very, very difficult. So I started as a freelancer. 
so I could just kind of look after myself at that point it was easier to avoid stuff uh, the problem is that there's a lot of kind of uncertainty in yourself I think that comes from not being able to meet people and also just from being a freelancer and I've kind of wrestled a little bit with depression through then so there's been a lot of I would say there's a lot of challenges when I was getting started in this because no one no one ever tells a freelance journalist that they've done a good job and there's nowhere to kind of like there's not really anyone to champion you except yourself and so for a lot of time I was working at least when I first started I think I would work I would wake up and eat some breakfast and then like from breakfast I'd probably work from like 10 a.m until 11 p.m just writing as much as possible pitching because if I wasn't working I felt like I wasn't doing the best job that I possibly could do um thankfully uh thank god uh it all got a little bit more chilled out over time and now i would say if i'm honest i probably work kind of 11 till 5 and still get the same amount of work done but it was such a big such a big adjustment just to kind of realize that actually i am kind of valid and it's fine to have these concerns about things and it doesn't really make you less of a successful freelancer but for years it, i just didn't really know which way was up and kind of just kept planning forwards there's a really interesting um, point there you made about kind of championing yourself and that no one ever tells you you're doing a good job. <laughs> that's so true. And I mean, I guess that's the same in journalism, journalism as well. I mean, I remember that when I was in the newsroom thinking, God, does anyone ever tell anyone that's a great front page or whatever? It happens kind of very rarely. And so you're even more isolated from that um, as a freelance. Um, and... I mean, one of the terms that kind of comes up quite a lot is resilience and kind of, as journalists, we have to be resilient because, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do can be quite controversial or um, we're kind of putting ourselves forward um, in ways that doesn't always get kind of, you know, great reception from the public. Um, but also when you're freelance, you have to deal with a lot of rejection. I mean, particularly when you're starting out and it, say you're, you're pitching or trying to secure shift work and you kind of just get this sort of wall of silence. Um, I want Jenny kind of what, what kind of advice would you have in terms of sort of protecting yourself and kind of being able to cope with um, that kind of continual either kind of rejection or not hearing anything and also kind of not knowing kind of what, when you've done a good job, I suppose. It's so hard. My friend Amy calls this professional ghosting. I'm sure she didn't make that up, but she told me that phrase and I just think it suits it so well because yeah, you just, I could spend a week sometimes sending out emails and getting no replies. Um, even when you get out of offices, actually getting an out of office can be reassuring because you often get another name and then you've got a new contact instantly. So it's like, wow, brilliant. I'll stop pestering them now. But um, it's hard because I don't think anyone I'd love to hear from anyone who thinks they've nailed it I don't think I have but one of the things I do do now which is something I've had to kind of train myself to do is keep spreadsheets um, particularly of my pitches a fellow freelancer Rosie Mullinder who I interviewed for my podcast told me about her pitching spreadsheet I'm not keen on spreadsheets but I've, as I say I've had to sort of you know make myself like them but if you keep a pitching spreadsheet it shows all the pictures you've sent and you can put reasons on it. So you might have your pitch down one side, your dates along the top and you can put, oh, sent to so-and-so gotten out of office. You can see what date it is. So then you can see how many days it's realistically been since you sent that pitch rather than thinking, oh God, it feels like I sent that ages ago. 
And you can also then put notes in. So say someone does say no, thank you. Even if it's a week later, you can say, oh, Guardian said no, too similar to something they were already doing. And then you can look back over all of that and you can sort of see a pattern of, well, it wasn't a rubbish idea. They were just doing something similar. And then it frees you to keep doing that pitch. So I think having a pitching spreadsheet and also a work spreadsheet, which obviously helps with, you know, when it comes to doing the taxes and everything. But you can look back over your work spreadsheet when you think, oh, nothing's happening. Just look back over the last couple of months and it will show you that things have happened, which reminds you things will happen. So it shows you that actually, hold on, last month you did, you did earn X amount. Um, you know, so, so having that sort of thing to look back on, I think, can really reassure you that you're not, you're not doing nothing and you're not getting no responses because those spreadsheets prove otherwise. They're factual ways of showing you that actually you are being very productive. Um, yeah, it sort of reminds you again, sort of what, what editors are looking for as well, I suppose, because you can see who said no and why or who said yes, which idea worked. Yes, I mean, Jake, it was really resonated with me what you said there about just when you started just feeling like you had to work all the time. I've definitely fallen into that trap of feeling like you can't say no ever and kind of burning the candle at both ends. Um, and I think I am better now at kind of managing what I can realistically do but I that's come with experience for me was that the same with you I don't know if you've got any advice for people who might just be starting out yeah so I mean uh, two things happened uh, basically I just felt like it wasn't really sustainable to keep working all of those hours like I I was kind of living in North London but I didn't see anyone or do anything and I started dating someone who was a so she was a freelancer in uh, in film basically and she was like, hey, if they're only paying you to work this many hours, or hey, if, if you only need to work for this, then uh, why, are you, why are you doing all this extra work? Sorry, it's a massive sign out. Right. <laughs> Just give them a second. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that, that was a huge change for me. I think a large part of it as well is just realising over time that there was just work that I didn't like doing, and that it maybe wasn't necessarily worth the money. So, I mean, this is... This is a ridiculously specific thing, but I did I did a lot of work for a uh, Minecraft magazine, and Minecraft is basically just a, a game about building building blocks, basically. And I did a couple of guides to build stuff in there, and that ended up being I don't know maybe forty hours of work for two hundred and fifty pounds. And the first time that I took it up, I was like, oh, you know, this is fine. And then you realise how long that takes. You know, this isn't worth it. And I've done that with so many so many bits of work that I'm maybe just not that well suited to or that maybe I shouldn't have taken on in the first place. And I think maybe if I was going to turn that into advice for someone else, I would say have an hourly rate in your head. And if someone asks you to do a thing that you think sounds like it might be a lot of work, then maybe just work out what that's going to end up being for you every hour. Because there's yeah, some... you need to sort of double check. Yeah. There are some things that you want to do, right? So if, if someone offers you kind of a dream job, or like there's a feature you really, really committed or someone's viewpoint you really want to tell, then you can you can flex that. You can maybe work for a little less than you usually would. But at least if you go into it knowing knowing what you're getting into, you won't end up in a situation where you are working for less than you're worth. And I think that's what I always tell people now is just work out what you're worth. But remember that that goes up over time because every year that you were freelancing is still a year that you were more experienced being a journalist. And, uh, and just... I mean, honestly, don't don't stress yourself out over things that aren't going to aren't going to pay your bills and that you don't care about. 
I love that feeling of saying no to something that you absolutely hated doing. So there's a module that I used to teach. Absolutely hated it. Lily knows exactly what I'm talking about because <laughs> she taught on the same module. And the I year I did it. it for two years running and it was so much work for various complicated reasons. And the year that I turned around and said, nope, <laughs> I'm not teaching anymore. It was such a good feeling. I felt I was just like walking on air for the whole day. I don't, I don't have to do it. I'm freelance. I'm not beholden to doing this. I just don't have to do it. Totally yeah, agree. Think... Oh, go on, sorry. So I was going to say, that's the reason that all of us became freelance, right? Is so you could pick what you want to do and mm. you basically get the job you like without the bits that you don't like. Some bits you can't avoid. Like we're still all going to be doing our own taxes or working out our taxes to some degree. But when it comes to the actual work, I think you've got a lot of, a lot of freedom to choose as and when we do the work. And you just need to say no more often, I guess. Yeah, you can have that with pitching. Go on, Jenny. You can have that with pitching as well, because there's a particular magazine that I um, wrote a few pieces for, and I just found their editing process really stressful. And I just found it, it really upset me to the point where I had um, an anxiety attack during the edit process. And I just thought, hold on a minute, I don't work for this magazine. Like, what am I doing? Um, and so many other people sort of have similar experiences, I think, where they sort of say, well, you feel because they're what you'd call a client, you pitch to them again because you're sort of in. And that's like having a bad relationship. It's like, hold on, you, we, we have the power to say, no way, they're not having my amazing idea in their inbox. Because it's that thing of being what you're worth is also what you're worth emotionally. Is it worth your time, your brain, your heart to work with that person? Or actually, does their fee not come anywhere close to you know, paying for what might end up needing to be, you know, contacting somebody professional to talk about the problems that ensue from working with clients like that. Yeah, definitely. I think that idea of, yeah, knowing your value and knowing your worth is really important. And, but also like you say, Jake, it, it changes over time. So what is worth your time in the beginning to perhaps build your portfolio and establish yourself in a field doesn't mean that you're going to be doing that a year or two years down the line. I know when I first started freelancing, I did a lot for um, a number of regional magazines and it was, it was regular work. Um, and it kind of got me back into the flow of pitching, but the rate, <clears throat> you know, the rate was reflective of the kind of size of the publications and it, it wasn't a great rate. Um, and after a while I was picking up, you know, better paid work. And so I, that sort of work started to, to disappear. So, and I wouldn't go back to doing that now, but it was great in the beginning. You know, it was really, really good for me to be doing that. Um, and this kind of idea of, I guess, worth and value is, is something that came up um, in our Facebook community, but perhaps turning that on its head a little bit. Um, and although we're sort of saying you need to recognize your own worth, um, there's also, kind of need to be able to detach yourself particularly once you've kind of finished a piece of work um and not kind of being too you might feel like it's you know it's something you've worked on for a long time and it's kind of your little kind of baby as it were but then it's kind of gone off into the world and you have to kind of let it go and not to kind of particularly things like comments or you know someone said about not reading comments on their online pieces and that, that is I think that's a great kind of piece of advice don't read the comments 
because they're probably going to upset you or there'll be something in there that will upset you or you'll disagree with or it's just completely wrong so just kind of don't go down <laughs> don't go down that path and don't you know and also on social media kind of try and avoid getting into spats or you know I don't know you have to be quite disciplined don't you um I mean Jenny have you got kind of any experience with this or is this something you've had to kind of navigate over time lots so I actually co-admin a group for freelance women in media um, number one freelance media women it's called um and yeah I, I see lots of people getting into that situation and I feel like it's the equivalent of writing on your LinkedIn profile hey I'm argumentative commission me or hey I, I get really rude when I'm challenged it shows you know you wouldn't behave like that in a meeting room but we behave like that sometimes because we forget ourselves and we're in a bubble at home and so yeah I would say always think twice before you just fire something back you know if someone messages you because they want to connect because they want to challenge you on something you don't have to reply just because it's pinged in you know walk, walk away even if it's just for 10 minutes and think do I really want to have this conversation in front of potentially up to 10,000 people on a Facebook group would you really lean out of the window and shout I'm really argumentative about my work you know or put it on your CV um, I think one of the things as well is that because we're often at home and often by ourselves we forget I guess you can't see the wood for the trees with your own opinion and that can happen with opinion pieces as well you send them out and actually you look at it again and you think that's a really random opinion what was I even thinking but yeah you might be on a Facebook group and think well I think xyz I just think step back from it for two minutes and think do you really think that thing you're going to type who are you typing it to is it someone who actually really you'd like to connect with but but you're feeling resistant to something they said or it's about that pause I think and just you know close the down the social media it's on if you need to and just take a moment to think do I really would I say that out loud to their face that's the classic isn't it is would you say it to their face yeah definitely and what, what about comments, Jake, the type of stuff that you do, do, do they, do you get kind of comment threads or content kind of shared with comments and how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, so really interesting thing for me is that um, weirdly uh, gaming got a lot more toxic before, got a lot more toxic before everywhere else. <laughs> so, uh, oh. so there was a big, when I got started, there was a really good, the, good no not good there's a really really negative uh movement called gamergate basically and it was just a load of blokes harassing women largely but it was really really nasty for about three solid years of just like any time you wrote anything that was like hey maybe we don't need as many white guys in gaming like on the front of every game and telling every story and they just had a really vicious reaction to that um and that that was actually, this will sound surprising, but actually kind of helpful because after going through that, there's no chance that anything that anyone writes anywhere on the internet has any impact on me whatsoever. Like I now just am completely impervious to it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that anyone should have to go through that to, for that to be the end result. You know, I, I think that generally if you read comments once and you're like, oh, I actually don't enjoy this, then stay clear and don't ever check it again because you just you don't need to i think a big mistake that a lot of starting out journalists make and a lot of freelancers as well to be honest is this feeling that you have to have a personality with your work and that you need to hand that over as well and you don't like you're being paid for your writing 
like you don't have to give any more of yourself than that and i think that as soon as you start reading all the social media stuff or responding to tweets from people that are either in bad faith or they're not trying to positively interact with you you're just giving more than you need to yeah i mean i've never read a comment i mean i don't usually read them but on places where i work where they have comment threads under i've never read a negative comment that would have changed how i wrote it or what like it's not it's irrelevant i think i once had an um i think it was for a gp publication that i was writing for and it was the person that i'd interviewed for the piece had then kind of put on social media something about the comments underneath that he was really shocked about and i was like oh gosh you went and read the don't read the comments (laughs) it's the first i never even look at them because also the group of people that are hanging around if you're a gp if you've got time to hang around on a website and start putting comments underneath i think it's a very small group of people who would even start to comment on that so yeah don't ever look ever and um, i mean one of the other responses that we had uh, in our facebook community was about separating work and relaxation spaces as much as you can or at least clear away your work so it's out of sight and you can switch off i mean now I have an office, I have a, a, sep- a room that's completely separate that I can shut the door on and that's great. When I first started out, we were in a one bedroom flat and I was kind of in the corner of the living room and my partner was working really weird hours. And so that was quite stressful, but at least I could just avoid that bit of the living room when it was time to kind of turn the TV on. I don't know if you've got um, any advice on that, Jenny. Yes, and I would like to shout out to people that don't have the perfect desk space because if I see one more on Instagram where it's like, oh, look at all my really tidy, I'm like, your crap must be somewhere. If it's not on your <laughs> desk, it's somewhere. I don't believe people don't have the stuff if they're a journalist. It's, it's hidden. It's in drawers. But um, yeah, I think putting things away, this is something someone else said to me as well, is like physically closing the laptop, turning off the extra screen. So it can't just ping up when, when it wants to if it's there's something you know, something triggers it to make sure it's turned down off, put the laptop in the drawer. Um, So yeah, if you are working in a space, say you work from your bedroom, you could go and buy a really nice, you know, like from somewhere like Sainsbury's or I know Ikea, a really nice storage box. And that is your work box. So you put away your, a bit like you would in a shared office now where lots of people have lockers and they have to put things away at night. Pack it all away, but make the thing you pack it away into nice if you want to, you know, get a really nice, little rattan chest somewhere like Don Elm and make that your your work space where you put everything away but you're not just like throwing it in the drawer like it's in something bad you know you're, you're gently and kindly putting your work to bed for the night um there are things you can get as well I guess to section off the area that might help with with mental health and well-being to kind of do that barrier like like a screen again I mean places like Don Elm and Ikea sort of probably have things like you know thin curtains you could maybe hang up pin up on the wall so you sort of section it off if it's in your room but you don't want to put it all away so ways to sort of physically separate that then help you mentally separate if that makes Lily's sense. got a curtain have you this is my curtain brilliant there you go you see <laughs> I just like any excuse to go to Dunelm to be honest <laughs> I mean it's not just about the physical space as well it's about um like your mobile phone for example because we have now have access to our emails all the time or whatever. When coronavirus started, as a health journalist, I realised I'd got myself into a really kind of negative um, circumstance where because everything was so fast moving and I had to keep on top of it all the time, um, that I, from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to bed, I was constantly checking, like, 
news stories, things that had happened, papers that had come out, my emails, everything. Um, and I realized that it kind of got me in this state of anxiety because I was trying to keep on top of this ridiculously fast moving story that nobody properly understood. Um, so it got to the point where I had to just actually just chuck my phone across the room. So it gets to like eight o'clock or whatever, the kids have gone to bed, I'm sat down. I'm like, I am not going to have that anywhere near me. I'm not going to look at it because otherwise I've got no headspace where I'm thinking about anything other than coronavirus. This is crazy. It's going to send me up the wall. This is going to go on for a long period of time. So it, there's other ways to kind of take your mind away from work as well as just the physical desk space, as it were. Totally agree. And I think that there's ways of doing that with apps on your phone as well. Um, something someone said to me once was turn off the notifications because otherwise you get those little red dots that the number just goes up and up and up. It's like, well, A, turn off those little red dots and B, something I've done, I've done it in particular with Twitter because for some reason, Twitter presses my over comparison buttons way more than any other social media. So Twitter, I now have to scroll three pages of my home screen to get to Twitter. I've moved it right to the back of all my apps just so that it's just that few steps away from checking it. So if there's social media does your head in a bit if that's the right phrase i can use i don't know if social media really sort of upsets you in some way um move the apps from your home screen don't make them quite so clickable absolutely yeah that's a really good idea i think there are even apps to kind of control your phone as well to kind of stop you accessing you know social media more than a certain amount of time a day or um or at least tell you how long you've been spending on there i m one of the things that i do is at night i always leave my phone downstairs so when i go to bed um i leave my phone charging in the kitchen and i make my husband do the same i'm like i will not have mobile phones in the bedroom because same. It's, you just don't want that before you go to sleep or first thing in the morning to be checking your phone and one of my friends said but what if someone needs to get hold of you in the middle of the night I'm like, well, what did people do before we had mobiles? You know, they didn't get hold of you. Like, it, that very rarely happens. Um, they can say, always send the police round if it's really that urgent. Exactly. You know, if it's someone that important, you know, they'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, one thing I want to kind of finish on um, before we round up is that, and you mentioned, Jake, about the fact that you kind of chose freelancing because that suited you. Um, you kind of found office life quite difficult for me it was kind of a geographical decision I wanted to move outside of London it was how I could do that um, and now I think I'm institutionalized as a freelancer I don't think I could ever go back to working in an office ever I just love my freedom too much so I wanted to talk about um, some of the positives because people might have chosen freelance because um, that just suited them better so let's talk about I guess how we can make the most of that as freelancers um, so Jake, what about you? You've kind of been doing this for a long time now, so you've got into the swing of things. So how do yeah. you make the most of that, the good things about being a freelance? Yeah, I mean, I've been freelancing now for 12 years, barring a couple of stints in office roles. And actually, I'm quite fortunate now in that I work four days a week for one client, pretty much regular office hours. Uh, but the one real benefit of freelance for me is uh, if the weather's quite nice or if you're really banging your head against the piece you can just go out for two hours it's a little harder during lockdown but it's nice to be like oh actually i want to go and watch a movie and you can go to the cinema at like one o'clock and no one else is there or like the whole point of freelance is that you are working entirely for yourself and you don't really have to answer to anyone but you and your clients and generally any client that you're working for isn't ever going to mandate what hours 
you work. So I, I mean, I lived in Berlin for a little while in Paris. I moved to New York for a bit, all while freelancing because it was just easy to do. You know, just chuck my laptop in a work sack and went. I think basically by freelancing, you're trading kind of the financial security of a full-time job to basically be able to have fun with your work pretty much constantly. And it's really up to you to decide what that is. Maybe you really like swimming and this gives you two hours to kind of go and swim every day or like you can travel around the world or you can take up a hobby or maybe you just only like working. Like I, I have a friend who freelances and she likes working four hour days and she lives far enough up north that all of her bills are payable by only working four days, uh, four hours a day. So now she kind of works like 21, 22 hours a week and it works fantastically for her. She's very happy with it. I think for freelance, you just, you decide what the benefit is and you actually should just embrace that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think when, so um, kind of after each child that I'd had, there's three now, um, kind of coming back and working part-time, but I felt I could just be really efficient and do a lot in that part-time. And the more work I took on, the more I got paid. So I had other kind of friends who'd gone back to staff jobs part-time who felt that they were doing full-time hours but not getting paid for full-time hours because they'd gone back part-time whereas at least if I take on extra work I'm getting paid for it and it's my choice and I can be super efficient and do twice as much in one day if I want to and get paid twice as much so um yeah it's kind of having that flexibility and Jenny you kind of touched on this in the beginning when you talked about your diary but I guess I just want to end with how do you recognize if you are struggling because if you're in an office other people might recognize that for you Mm. How do you recognise when it's just you at home? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes it can manifest like those teary afternoons and it will just suddenly be that I just get really stressed about. And it's not often a, stre- a work thing. It'll be something else in life, like, oh, I don't know. Or I've forgotten, even something stupid, like I've forgotten to pick up one piece of washing for the washing machine. And suddenly I'm just in bits. And, and it's generally because the work stress is built up. And then suddenly there's that one other life thing that isn't working out. And you're just like, I can't handle anything. Um, I think it can creep up on you a bit like, I was trying to think of an analogy for everybody. But all I could think of is it creeps up on you like PMT, <laughs> which all the women will probably go up. But like when you know you've got a bad back and it's okay and it's okay. And then you feel the slight niggles. And then suddenly your back's really, really painful. And you think, oh, if I'm honest, I felt it twinging. So it's almost about the prevention rather than the cure and sort of thinking about, you know, thinking about how you might struggle and why. And I guess putting in the building blocks that we've talked about, like the exercise, like taking breaks, getting fresh air, talking to other freelancers, being on other groups. Um, I often realise I'm struggling when I'm firing out pitches left, right and centre too quickly and it's almost like panic pitching um, and I know I'm struggling when I start over comparing on social media and I guess when I recognise those things I try and walk away. Um, I do actually find freelance groups really useful for that because you can sometimes post and, and say if it's a smaller group oh I'm struggling today I'm finding this a bit of a challenge nine times out of ten loads of people will post underneath and say so glad you said that I'm struggling too or I felt like this yesterday. Um, yeah, I guess it's about sort of having your little building blocks in place if you can, knowing that you might get really anxious about a certain client. So just be wary if you do accept work from them that you probably also need to book a gym session or book a workout that day. Yes. I mean, in the show notes, we'll add some links to 
kind of networks and freelance yeah. groups that we've all found useful so that others can join those if they don't um automatically know them obviously there's our there's um the freelancing for journalists community as well which is fairly new but we've got quite a lot of members and there's a big mix on there of really experienced journalists and people just starting out so I'm sure there's lots of people who could you know understand if you're having a, a hard day and um, so yeah thanks so much to Jenny and Jake this has been really useful and I hope we've kind of covered lots of different aspects and not just uh, negative things but given some good advice and um, the thing that's really stood out for me is that other freelance journalists will understand the issues you're having so that connection is really important yeah I feel like this has been a kind of virtual hug for everybody and I, <laughs> I hope it's come across like that that kind of we're all in the, the same boat here and and we all go through the same kind of struggles or or kind of insecurities about about what we're doing but actually you know for most of us this is what we've chosen to do and like we said it's about making the most of those opportunities um if anyone would like to get in touch to give us some feedback or suggest ideas you know we're always open um if there's a particular area you would like us to discuss on the podcast then please let us know you can email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com and follow us on twitter at freelancing for uh, you can also follow us individually. So I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. Um, and don't forget to join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community um, where there you'll find lots more tips and advice. And just a note to say that if you would like to buy us a virtual cover to say thank you for the podcast, then we now have a coffee page um, and you can find that on twitter it's our pinned tweet and it's also on our website um and it would be really great if you could like rate and subscribe the podcast if you're enjoying what we're doing because uh, that helps people find us but also if there's an episode that's really resonated with you for example if you could leave a review that would be really helpful as well so we're going to wrap up for now but next time we will be talking about fighting for fair pay but for now goodbye Bye.